uh, for quick PSA. This episode was incredible. There, you will experience a little bit of rustling. Don't pay it no mind. Don't let it distract you from the amazing wisdom and the just gems that Tom shared with us. Uh, it's one of my favorite conversations we've had so far. And I just felt like I got a decade wiser <laughs> after the conversation. So uh, just keep that in mind. There will be some rustling, but uh, I really know you're going to love this episode. I feel like if you just put blinders on and you just kind of try to take care of yourself and make you like whatever that means, you know, I used to smoke a lot of weed. I used to drink a lot of beers. Like I don't do that. anymore. Like I, I'm looking inward to find answers and that's mm. not the answer for me. The answer is like making my body feel good, getting exercise, like trying to be on this planet with my daughter as long as I can be like healthy and drinking water and cold, <laughs> cold brew. <laughs> water and, and cold brew and like, you know. Welcome everybody to the... Baking, Baking notes, notes podcast. 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 Today on the Faking Notes podcast, we have Tom Lee. Yes, Tom Lee is okay. Okay, Faking Fam. He's a violist. Viola gang. He's a viol- viola gang in the house. And what's really cool about Tom is that he's been an incredible figure in my life as I've transitioned from New York to LA. He's been a de facto mentor. He's been on some of my favorite gigs like Arthur Verakai, uh, Marco Antonio Solis, and Ariana Grande at the Grammys. And we talk a little bit about that as well. He's also in like Mandalorian. This dude's everywhere. Uh, he's playing mm-hmm. in hip-hop orchestras. He's living on couches. He's seeing the whole world, and now he's entered fatherhood. But today we talk about really the physical nature of music and how that translates into his like big stage presence to teaching little kids uh he he's been working inward his whole life and understanding himself and there's some really useful nuggets to all of our listeners on how to interpret your body listen to your body health physical health mental health and how that can improve yourself both as an artist and as a person and if you're a a freelancer out there who's kind of curious about what it really takes to continue to get getting calls he goes through his protocol list of things that you must do in order to make sure that you set your reputation right as a performer from the start Uh, i think the most important thing he said though was how to be kind to yourself and why it's important let's welcome our guest tom lee This is fun. This will be my first podcast. I've never done anyone's podcast. What? Yeah, that was that was actually going to be my um that was actually gonna be my first question, Tom. Was be like, <laughs> <laughs> so I remember when we were on the phone. You were like, "Yeah, man, I've never done a podcast." I was like, "What?" Yeah, Bruh, Let me let me get you in here. This is a fun yeah. little fun little thing. So, uh, what do you what what have you heard about? Do you listen to podcasts at all? Have you heard? I, I do. I mean, I've heard. I've heard plenty of podcasts. I, I um, what's the one serial? That one kind of got me into podcasts. Uh-huh. The season one, and I was just like, "Wow, what? 
what the fuck? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> um, it was, it was wild. I loved it. And, um, and then I watched, I think I listened to season three of that, which was also really cool here. And like the, uh, Cleveland, uh, criminal, um, criminal system or the justice system. Wow. Might as well be criminal system. Um, and how like corrupt and sketchy it is. And just, I mean, you know, it's mind blowing, uh, all that. But then I, uh, what was the other one I did? Oh, sh- uh, was it shit town S town? Have you guys I heard, heard that one? That. I know what you're talking about. I haven't listened to it, but it Real, really cool. And it's a great Sorry. name. So yeah. Yeah. No, it's why it's that one's crazy. That one's really cool. The guy who's like the lead, you know, subject is fascinating. Um, I kind of forget some of the details, but it's a really interesting listen. It's really cool. And then lately I'll just say one last thing lately. Uh, I've been listening to like the Rick Rubin, um, broken records, broken records. Yeah. That's great. one. I love it. I mean, I just such a like fan of Rick Rubin already from like, growing up and like hearing the beastie boys and run dmc i had a mixtape my brother made me one side had the run dmc the other side had the beastie boys and i was just like that was it for me i was that was it like hip-hop was the thing did you hear the interview with andre 3000 i did is wasn't that incredibly fascinating how you know hearing from him in his own words in his own perspective about how his art is received and how that has been like a real paralyzing force in his life. Like, because he feels like, you know, the, the whole joke is Andre the three stacks ain't ever spit a lame verse in his life. What kind of <laughs> pressure is that? You right. Know? So right. it was really interesting hearing his, pers- hearing his perspective on that. That one almost felt like a, um, a therapy session, you know, between Rick Rubin and, and Andre. It was, it's like pretty wild. It was fun just to hear rick rubin's thoughts because he really is just so calming force you know so i feel like for an artist he was just being a producer you know and sort of like talking him down a little bit and sort of helping him like work through some of the things that were you could tell things are like bouncing around in his head and he definitely wants to like have this pressure to be the best he can be and, and be exciting and new all the time and that's got to be insane just to like always feel that you know isn't that like kind of what a producer is? Like I've only been in the studio in limited capacities, but it always feels like the producer is like, not just there to like guide the musical journey, but like, yo man, you need to roll this in. I'm hearing this in your voice. Or I'm hearing this in the sound. Can you do like, they're really kind of like your, uh, the, your handler <laughs> you know, in a way. And, and like your, your therapist. So yeah. Have and, you had and any it's experiences? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, the I think the producers' roles have changed too because that's totally what it used to be. They like weren't playing the music, they weren't performing the music on the record. They were just in the room, getting the right people together and making sure that it sounded dope. Uh, and what's that? Yeah, business, like just bi- ex- totally business. And and now I think like after like kind of Dre kind of stepped in and it was like he's the producer but he was like the beat maker and then just bringing in the rappers and kind of helping it all congeal. Uh, but it's, I think it's kind of one of those things that could always be an ever transforming and ever morphing, you know, role, but, and I've done producing, I, I produced my own records and I brought players in that I thought would be dope. And I've written songs with people where we kind of co-produce. And I think it's just kind of, yeah, like 
being objective and and listening to like the right people's opinions and and then being like staunch on something if it's like hey this really doesn't vibe i'm not really gelling with like this part that you got in here can we please try something different you know <laughs> so you know it's you just got to be flexible you know but being producer is actually really really fun it's one of my favorite things to do in music actually it's fun being the ceo you can go in make all the decisions creative role i, I guess the equivalent for non-music peeps is you're the film director overseeing the whole process and you have the vision before it starts off and you get the kind of final say and to take something through beginning to end that really feels like it's your own not just if you're the player performer there's like something else about it to say you sat back and like you helped all these other people realize theirs or your vision 100 percent. yeah i just it you can't there's nothing like it because it's it's like, I guess, being like a conductor, right? If you were conducting an orchestra, you get to, you know, really show excitement when you need something, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, and Lord knows I, I'm not the boss of my family. I got a six-year-old and a, <laughs> and, a, and a puppy and a wife. And, you know, it's like, that's the one place where I feel like I definitely, no, no, no. I, guess, I don't get to be a conductor. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a violist in my family. Isn't that a great... Chris Rock stand-up special. It's called like Tambourine, Tambourine Man or something like that. Yes. And the thing is like, sometimes you got to play the tambourine. Yeah. <laughs> you got to play it. Like that's the best damn tambourine line you've ever played. <laughs> I I couldn't agree more. And then God, if you listen to any Motown records, you know how important the tambourine is, right? <laughs> it's like every song has like ridiculous tambourine. I mean, it's like, it's in there the whole time. It's rare when there's not tambourine in the song. Sorry, <laughs> tangent, but yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the nature. When it's not there, you miss it. Mm -hmm. It's true. I wanted to share, I wanted to really kind of like jump in and like share my first memory of you. I remember we met, I don't know if it was, I think it was 2017 or something in that vein or early 2018. You were performing with Vitamin String Quartet at Rockwood Music Hall. Earl was there. Derek was there. Get who? I think it was Amanda was the other was the other violinist uh, for the show. And I remembered, I remember you towering over everybody because you are a <laughs> you are a man with a you have a wonderful structure. And as a violist, like you impose your will on the quartet. <laughs> I like that. And I was like, okay, this man's holding it down. I was like, this guy's the leader and he's the violist. I felt that. And I, I will never, ever forget that impression you made on me as like this strong violist. There's, there's so few of us out there. And like, I'm just glad you're here. And I also wanted to thank you for being so kind uh, to me during our meeting there, because I know you were busy. Every one of you had a bunch of people to talk to. It was a packed house, but each of you took some time to talk to me. And I, I always remembered that. So thanks for coming on the pod, bro. Oh, my pleasure, Drew. Thank you for having me, man. It's, it really is a pleasure. And I always love just chatting with you. So it's nice to meet Trevor and, you know, get it in with you guys because, you know, it breaks up this monotony here that we got going on the last year or so, you know. So thank you for saying that, brother. It It's one of the things that excites me the most about playing with a group like Vitamin String Quartet, where you've got to have a heartbeat and you got to have someone who understands uh, the inner workings of of a groove and someone who can like, throw down as much passion and energy to help create that within the group. You got to get everyone to buy into that energy. 
And because <laughs> not everyone's got that and everyone's got days where they're not feeling it. But um, I think from, from early days, that was kind of always been my, my happy place is getting people in the group and in the audience to be excited about what we're doing on stage. Cause if that's not happening, then why are we there? Factual. Factual. I wanted to talk about um, our first memory together, and that was uh, 12 minutes ago. So <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure, and I've loved to see how you've grown over these 12 minutes. <laughs> I think something listening to your music and reading up about you and talking with you with Drew, and he speaks so highly of you, is that stage presence. I don't know why, but Drew keeps on bringing tall people on here. I don't <laughs> Paul Violist, like, I don't know if we're on to something here, but you've got such a, st a stage presence. And I think particular to our last couple of guests, I think that's kind of one of these through lines is we've seen a lot of people with style, with presence, with real personality. And I was wondering, you, you said that kind of happened early on. Was it really always like that? Like as a little kid, were you running out and like drawing attention? How have you gone about building such presence? a great question yeah absolutely i wanted to be an actor when i was a little kid i went to a performing arts uh, i went to san diego school of creative and performing arts and it was from fourth grade to 12th grade and from wow. fourth grade till about eighth grade i or seventh grade i really wanted to be an actor i we took dance we did you know we took we had to do everything as part of the curriculum but drama really hit me in you know, I was taking auditions and, you know, LA and San Diego were really close together. So I was like kind of going down that path. And then I had an unfortunate like situation where my uh, English teacher was also my drama teacher. And he gave me like a really bad grade in wow. English or drama. And I don't remember what it was, but it really turned me off to drama. And I was like, you know what? I was already playing viola at the time and I was playing upright bass. I was taking both. Uh, and so I was like, I'm just going to kind of focus on the viola and really kind of get into it. And I had my uh, shout out to my, um, my middle school um, orchestra teacher, Mr. Smith, uh, he was like, Hey, I think you are a really talented violist. You should really nurture this and go for it. And so, yeah, I always had that. Like, I feel like I've always felt like a ham, <laughs> you know, like I was, no matter what situation I know, I had draw attention to myself. I don't, I don't mean to, it gets me in trouble sometimes, but um, you know, when it's on stage, I think that's the place to do it, you know? And, and I, what I'm learning now at 42 is like, that's not always cool. <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> you gotta find the right moment to be a nut, you know, or to be, you know, try to get all the attention. And so, uh, but when it comes to playing music, yeah, I've always just had a lot of fun with it, and I really try to make that infectious, and and it just makes it more fun for me. I've always just like, and I remember being at like at the conservatory in San Francisco, and being at these orchestra concerts, and you know, we've all been to an, a symphonic concert, but if I'm playing Brahms. Brahms two or Brahms four, you mm -hmm. that piece is crazy fire. And so I would be not giving a shit and just like headbanging on the moments where <laughs> it merits headbanging. And I'm like, I don't care who the fuck is here. I'm just going to have fun and know it. Like I would get compliments all the time and I wouldn't do it to get compliments. I do it because I was just enjoying myself. It's beautiful. Can I, can, can I share, bro? I used to do the same thing in youth orchestra. I used to always be the person who moved. And I felt like some, a lot of people were like resistant to that in the orchestra, but some people that I would connect with in eye contact, they would move with me and it would be better. 
And so, and it would always be the comment, like, you move so much. It looks like you have, looks like you have so much fun. But that wasn't <laughs> what it's about. It's about that connection. I never met anybody else who had that same experience until now. That's interesting. Hi. Let's do a virtual, <laughs> let's do a, let's do a virtual high five. One, high five, two, bro. <laughs> That's beautiful. I know even just like looking out on stage, one of my favorite activities, going in, you get the freebie tickets to like the New York Phil as part of the school. You go sit in there and I'm like, hey, watch the back row first violin. You know, this, <laughs> I don't know his name, but you know, very old, skeletal perhaps, and just <laughs> no movement, no nothing. And I'm like, wow, like that's just incredible. to be, be playing this beautiful music. If you close your eyes, you're like, wow, this is incredible. This is awesome. And you open your eyes and it's like, it's it's like watching a a renaissance painting or something it's just no movement but (laughs) like i getting into classical music that shit's fire it's awesome like some of those things they hit hard blast them out and it's so much fun we've talked about it before there was that big study to where they filmed i don't know if it was the piano competition or something and they showed the audio only video only on audio and video together and consistently they'd ask people who won this competition and it wasn't the audio or the audio and video that kept winning. It was literally just the video with silence. They were more accurately predicting who won it. And it's because if you think about it, we're such visual creatures. And this is a piano competition. These are experts looking in at this. These are expert judges. It's not even, oh, it's fun watching people move around. It was literally a better predictor watching people move with their bodies and interact and then to actually listen to the sound. It's it's fascinating. It's such an important part of who we are. It's not surprising at all. I, I that's really cool. I'd like to see that. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I, oh yeah, the difference between watching a symphonic concert or a chamber music concert to me is like no, there's no comparison. It's so much more fun to watch chamber music. Yeah, there's less things. There's less things happening, but just the intensity that it requires to make a, a chamber work happen. Uh, and the like the fire and the energy it's just you you feel it and it's it's addictive and and you get pulled in and that's why i think at least at uh san francisco conservatory we all we all liked playing in chamber music class as opposed to playing in orchestra we were like it was always way more enjoyable and, and everyone just get hyped and excited and i think maybe it's the way the music's written but i mean there's just something about it you know it's maybe you're getting a little more uh, ability to like showcase your you know your skills because there's like less people and I really always have really loved chamber music, but yeah. What's your favorite? What's your favorite chamber piece off the top of your head? Or give me a top three. I'm curious as a violist, you know, cause that matters. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is going to be sad. Cause I'm so like, so rusty in the chamber life. Um, you know, what's really fun is, um, is it the Schumann octet or is it a sextet? There's a Brahms octet, mm-hmm. right? That one is incredibly fun. Oh no, there's a Mendelssohn. It's the, the Mendelssohn. Mendel- Mendelssohn. Yeah, 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 No, it's okay. Men- That's the one. I think, yeah, Mendelssohn Octet has got to be top up there. And then there's a Brahms, I think was it the G minor? That one's super fun. Yes. Uh the piano really quintet. Fun. Yes. And then I've tried slubbing my way through uh the Ravel string quartet. <sighs> and I mean, I can't even I mean, I I'm not good enough to play that, man, but holy shit, it was exciting and fun to play. And and if some of the things were working. You're just like, we did it. We counted through it. We got it. We made it. You know, I just like, can't believe you got through it. Cause it's so hard to look like decipher it. And, and I mean, it's, 
one of the most complex things that I've ever read. Just tried to make work as a group. But yeah, I mean, those are the three, like, three big ones. Go ahead. Sorry. Piece. Like, like for all of our um, uh, listeners who aren't coming in from the classical music world, like that's a great entry point. It's, it's just super cool, super interesting, each move, movement. It's beautiful. You've probably heard it in a commercial or a movie or two. I read through that. Ugh, good luck. I also like Ravel. What a baller. He wrote one string quartet and he's like, I'm done. <laughs> Mic drop. Why, why bother? Exactly. Why bother writing anything else? Because you can barely <laughs> play this. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's funny because I'm actually learning this quartet right now uh, as a passion project for myself. Um, and it's so funny that you brought it up because I was literally practicing it this afternoon. And as I was introducing this to uh, a friend of mine, I was looking into Ravel and he actually left Paris Conservatory because he disagreed with uh, his teachers didn't really like his style. Um, he didn't really mesh well in the conservatory. And they honestly didn't think he would amount to much. And isn't that just an interesting, like, parallel to people that kind of changed the game? Yeah, how important is school, you know? <laughs> that's, that's, maybe that's the question we should ask. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's very important. I, I felt like I sort of started school and just wanted to kind of get that master's degree because I didn't know what else to do with my life at that point. I was, like, too scared to go into the real world. Uh, and, you know... For good reason, because that shit is incredibly intimidating and fucking scary. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was like, okay, I'm safe. I'm in my safe space. I'm just going to go and get this six years out of the way and have that master's degree. And then I'm going to work. I'm going to do all this work, you know? And of course, you're just like, you know, reality hits. As soon as you get out, you're like, wait, these student loans? Wait, hold that. How? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so sketchy. Even That's, going off, go ahead. Of, yeah, go ahead. Uh, jumping in off of that Ravel situation, like another part of that, like why he was also angry is that I can't remember. It was the Preeks de something, something, something. Um, the big award. You know, everyone who went through the Paris Conservatory, which is like the top music school back in the day, that was the award they'd give to like the best composition. And they just didn't give it to Ravel. And I can't remember, but it's a piece we know. It's like a great piece that like didn't win. And so he's like pissy about that. And so he just. <laughs> He middle-fingered his way out of that. Look at him. We're still talking about him later. And he said bye-bye school. But could you talk a little bit about you've done your, you've di you did your time in classical music school. You've got your, you've collected your debt and you've <laughs> <laughs> like, what were those initial steps? Because it is such a spooky and tough thing to jump out into the re real world. What was that like? Yeah, it really was scary. Um, well, for me, I mean, it's a, I mean, I feel like I have a pretty crazy journey. Honestly, I, uh, when I graduated from UCLA, I, you know, I, I don't even know how I graduated. I honestly don't remember <laughs> half the shit I attempted to learn at my graduate degree. Um, you know, lessons were the most important thing to me and getting my senior or my graduate recital on point. Uh, thankfully I did. And, um, honestly it was, I kind of did a, an, a strange roundabout way to get to where I am here now, but I retreated back to my mom's house in San Diego. I was living in LA, going to UCLA, and I said, "Mom, what up? How I mean, can I can I crash here? Can I can I chill?" And she let me hang out for probably about half a year, and and I found a job at Tower Records, which was pretty oh, depressing. Wow. 
considering I had a, a master's degree in viola to performance and to all of a sudden be like slinging classical. I was the classical record guy. So I'd like anyone or a classical phone call. I'd be the guy to like look up the title. Cause I actually could like, you know, spell. And then, so <laughs> no offense to anyone. Tchaikovsky is hard, man. If you don't know. Yeah, totally. I know. Plaglinka or whatever, you know, there's lots of interesting names. So, uh, <clears throat> I worked there. I was, pretty depressed i was like you know just smoking a lot of weed and like partying with friends who were from my hometown and working there and i wasn't playing i wasn't practicing and i was just like how am i going to get out of this rut i really had no idea um i think i started to kind of realize okay if i don't jump start my career somehow i'm going to be stuck not playing viola and i'm going to be super sad my whole life uh and so i talked to one of my best friends mike whitson uh who was at that time going to Oklahoma university. And he said, Hey dude, uh, I've got a room for rent in my apartment. Uh, it's two fifty a month and the Oklahoma city Phil is auditioning in the fall. Why don't you come out here in the summer, take lessons with my teacher. He's totally, be totally stoked to have you. His name is Matt Danes, great violas. Uh, I was like, man, that'd be great. So actually before I did that, I, I took an audition in Louisville symphony Word. and I can't tell you how, depressing this story is so i like saved all my money i've been working at tower records i made it wasn't i wasn't getting seven dollars i was getting 725 an hour because i had a master's degree they gave me an extra quarter Eight times. damn <laughs> baller so I, was like, <laughs> I was like thanks for the raise guys and so yeah I, <laughs> I, I uh i fly out to louisville you know spend all this money on the airplane and the hotel and like i was like oh my god this is so expensive and I probably practiced for like a month to like take this like major symphony audition. Needless to say, I was not going to do well. And so I ate a really shitty meal at the old spaghetti factory the night before. I felt <laughs> sick. I like all I did was like eat, drink my beer and eat bread because like the spaghetti was horrible. I was like, this is not a good omen. I get up the next morning and I go to the audition and I just hear people in the practice rooms and I'm like, oh, I start having like a mild panic attack. And I was like, oh shit, like I don't sound good. These people sound amazing. And I just bricked it. And I just went home with my tail between my legs. And I was like, God, that was depressing. So that's when I hit up my friend, Mike, and we were talking and he kind of talked me into going out there. So I, long story short, moved to Oklahoma, uh, won the top sub position with the Oklahoma City Phil, which nice. was amazing. I got to perform with Yo-Yo Ma and a few other, like Edgar Meyer and a couple other like really amazing uh, soloists. I, after about four months there, I realized there's no way I want to live in Oklahoma. No offense to Oklahoma. <laughs> it's a beautiful state, but I'm from California. And, and the, it was so blue collar that I knew that there would be no money. I wouldn't be able to afford my student loans and like cost of living on what musicians are worth in Oklahoma. And I'm like, well, if I just come back down to California, I can, I'm money is, are, there's more money for art here. You know, people just have more money. And when people have more money, usually means they're more educated and they're more open to the finer things in life, quote unquote. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, um, so definitely. people are just more open to, to mm -hmm. hiring musicians for whatever. Um, because that's just what it's like out here in California. You know, there's just like a progressive artistic scene. Uh, so yeah, anywho, uh, I got, um, I, I, I moved back home and, but this time I was like, now I'm going to, I'm going to work. So I was like living at my mom's and I just hustled freelancing, teaching. I was getting 
all kinds of work in San Diego. And I was like, okay, well, at some point I want to make the jump up to LA because I knew that's where all the fun, creative work is. And I've always um, liked dabbling in music that wasn't classical. I've always loved hip hop and I've always worked on like improvising and doing all these other things. I'm sure we'll get into that, but I knew that LA was the place to be because I'd already lived there and I knew how amazing LA was. Mm -hmm. So for me, for me, it's not for everyone. Um, anyways, I, I, I had a teaching job in, in, uh, South Orange County and I used that as my jump off to have like a midway point where I could keep that job as my steady job. And I had that in San Diego going for a long time. Uh, and then when I moved up, when I finally had enough money saved up to move to LA, I kept that job and I would drive down one day. A week. Yeah. Down to like, yeah, it was like a, a solid hour and a half drive <sighs> each way. So but, you know, it was like a full day of teaching. So it was like yeah. I, I could be guaranteed to get at least 300 bucks once a week, you know, for that drive. So mm-hmm. at that time, and this is back in like 2006 or something like that. So mm-hmm. I knew it was eventually I wouldn't be doing that anymore. And of course, eventually I wasn't doing that anymore. I was making enough money, you know, with pickup gigs and just free, freelancing and session work. And, you know, things are sort of started from the bottom. Now we're here, you know, like I'm not here. <laughs> But I'm certainly way <laughs> further than I was, you know. So, I'm not, but I'm also not there. <laughs> certainly not there, yeah. And so, you know, I was a scrub, man. I was taking gigs that were really horrible, you know. Like, you, you're there for like four or five hours. You know, you're getting like 100, maybe 150 bucks for whatever. When you're younger, you know, and you're like mid-20s, you know, that that's okay, you know. And, of course, this is like almost 20 years ago, so it's a lot cheaper. But, yeah, I lived in Boyle. I, I had an apartment with my one of my best homies, uh, Double G, who was the conductor from Dakka Hip Hop Orchestra, which is one of LA's most unique groups. It was a 70-piece hip-hop orchestra. And that was like my fam from like 2000, 2000 on for me. That's And like half of my network of people in LA came from that group. And wow. some of the best players in the world from that group, which is pretty amazing. So started there and just worked my way up. I, I wanted to highlight uh, for, for our faking fam, like how incredibly brave you were in this whole process you 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 took many chances on yourself without knowing what was going to happen and you had the audacity to bet on yourself and and even though and this is something a lot of people are afraid of myself included because if you fail it's like what then or if it doesn't go the way you want it to what then but you found ways to make it and then, like, you didn't get into your f- first audition, but then you made it happen. You got into the Philharmonic. And then you were like, this still isn't for me. And then you left that. You went back home. Mom was good. And then you made, you, 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 you made different des- decisions. You changed your plans very slightly. And this is the part of the story that most people don't ever hear about us. Like, the thing, the thing that I tell people when I talk to people about you, Tom, is, like, you are one of the longest-standing top of the line call violists here in the freelance industry here in Los Angeles. And you've been here for a little over 10 years, right? Uh, almost 20. Almost 20 almost years. 20. <laughs> Look, and, 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 getting, and getting to where you are in your career here in the freelance uh, sector is not easy. And it takes that time. I also remember as we've hung out and we've done a couple of gigs, I remember first hearing about Dakar from you when we did that Arthur Verakai gig together can you can you talk a little bit more about the uh the dakar orchestra because that's super interesting i'm sure m- many of our listeners have never heard of it yeah i'm so glad you want to hear about dakar um 
the car started um there was two guys who started double g and oh my god i feel so sad that i can't remember the trombonist name who was those guys were riding together and you know double g would write a piece he went to berkeley by the way mm-hmm. uh composite composition major and he just got his law degree from loyola so he's a lawyer <laughs> the guy's a beast <laughs> he's one of the most double, double threats <laughs> but he still wants to be a me he still wants to make music the guys he's a he's one of the most incredible people you ever meet but um he just the guy has so much drive and passion to bring orchestral music to hip-hop and there was definitely a place for it because of the roots i think the roots really paved the way for hip-hop to be like yes you can still slam and still get the heads nodding with a live band and we did that on a really grand scale with up to at one point i mean it fluctuated you know sometimes it'd be like a little assassination like a little assassinator like 20 piece crew <laughs> sometimes it'd be like a 55 chicken piece dinner or sometimes it'd be a 70 piece so i mean like we i mean we actually toured a few times but this group was we were playing in a place called the temple bar and i think it started in like 1999 and my sister elizabeth lee who's one of the funkiest and most musical trombonists in the planet um she was playing with them and i mean i owe so much to her because she's like hey my brother tom is here and he's (laughs) just going to ucla and and I kind of got in like right when it was happening on a, on the ground level. And I mean, we'd have like string sectionals at my apartment, you know, when I was going to UCLA and we were playing shows in this little club called Temple Bar in uh, Santa Monica. And we just had the place, I mean, like packed and like you couldn't even fit all the people on stage. We'd have like the saxophones and like the winds and horns would be in like the front row, like in front on the dance floor. And we'd like have to like, you know, put um you know, like a, like the rope, like in front of them to like keep the dance floor and the, and the band separated. But wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was incredible. We ended up playing, I mean, the band just kept going and we had a lot of great opportunities. We um, played at Disney hall uh, one year, which was really, really amazing. Cause it was just so much hard work. And I think it was just a testament to like how original and cool it was that like Disney hall would just be like, we really or LA Phil would just be like, we got to bring this group in. I mean, it's so original, so unique to LA. The people of LA need to be able to see this group in a, in a legit, like one of the best symphony halls in the world. Um, so that was a really proud moment for all of us. I know. And we were able to perform with um, guru rest in peace from Gangstar. We did a, um, a collaboration with Toyota on, um, they had the Scion car and they, they flew us all out to um, South by Southwest. This is in early days oh, before whoa. South by Southwest was like a total shit show. And, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, still kind of was, but it wasn't yeah. as bad as it is now. <laughs> and uh, we played, we played there um, with a sound collaboration and Guru uh, came in and we recorded uh, it's a jazz thing, which is one of Gangstar's earliest tracks off of their first, their first album. It's called jazz thing. Check it out. But um, I don't even think that's available because it was pressed to vinyl and it was one of these like rare B sets. So we had a roots, uh, a roots mashup, a roots medley on one side of the record, and then like this guru gangstar um, uh, jazz thing uh, medley that we did. It was really really cool, and we, we were able to perform with him at the House of Blues in Vegas. I don't know mm. how logistically we were ever to make this happen to like send all these people all across the the country. It was pretty uh, remarkable, and uh, I think one of the at the top of that thing, we did a, a double G arranged this beautiful medley for common and most deaf or formerly mm-hmm. most deaf, uh, Yazin, Yazin Bay. Um, 
was then known as most deaf who's one of my favorite mcs and we did like a 15 minute like show at this car reveal that they did in chicago so they flew the whole orchestra out to chicago so i mean like it was so unique that it was able to get us some like pretty amazing opportunities just because of how unique it was but hell that had to cost an arm and a leg just for airfare alone you know forget about like hotel and food and all that so it was it was amazing and, and but more than that it was just a place where people who would we would we weren't gonna we weren't getting paid to play with that group you know mm-hmm. you'd be stoked if you made 50 bucks or 100 bucks but it's like just the experience and like the camaraderie and the family man and the i mean just some of the parties we'd have and just like people like genuinely loved each other we'd be so thrilled to just hang out with each other and and then of course through that i mean other bands formed and, and it was it was incredible i mean like i said some of my favorite musicians some of the world's best musicians came from that group and are doing incredible songs that you we all hear on the radio like these are people who, you know we hear now this is absolutely amazing like with all of these like <clears throat> different genres one thing that always surprised me is like getting deeper into classical music is you don't always get that sense of camaraderie I don't know if it's just like the nature of the business, the strive for perfection instead of maybe strive for entertainment or strive for fun or strive for, you know, community mesh. You're always like looking towards this peak, elusive high art or whatever. Like that's just something seeing other people who like work in these other fields who play in bands. Like they're just having having a good time. I remember coming to LA. So I was mostly in classical music land i'd work in theater that was really fun in new york i'd work in film and then brought some of that on to la interacting with people who like work in video games or who work in pop music there's some like the happiest most creative people and they both of them like make nothing there's no guarantees and yet i i go to a film scoring event and everyone's sad and there's lots of money in film scoring if you make it but everyone's kind of sad and tired and then i talk to the pop people who are literally making nothing and yet they're so happy they're so creative and they just love being around each other so i i never would have thought that uh, i myself had just started to focus in more and more on people who not left classical music but who've gone out and explored other things and particularly in like pop and hip-hop and other spheres it's there's a real sense of community i could not agree with you more i, I mean and and one thing more about Daka, like as the type of player that i am to be able to headbang and to lose my mind on stage because of what the band's doing was exciting me so much that I could just like shout at the top of my lungs. And that's totally cool. And whip my bow in the air. Like, I just don't fucking care. Like that is, <laughs> that feels good. Like, I think we got, you know, it's like, that's what's so fun about music. And unfortunately for classical music, it lives in a museum and I think they're changing. I think they're realizing like, okay, well obviously film and, and classical music are so closely connected that that's the new format, you know, for, for people to, uh, I think access, access classical music now. And I've done a cub stud with the Hollywood bowl orchestra and that, you know, we played like Harry Potter. We did the whole, the whole movie, oh, one of like prisoner of Azkaban. And, Ooh. you know, we did the whole, the whole movie. It was fun. Totally. I mean, you, you get it. I mean, you understand why, I mean, people are, they don't realize what, what's that extra thing. And it's the orchestra that's like, making them excited about what they're seeing and it's it's 3d you know and and, and they're how they're feeling it and experiencing it but you know it, being able to have fun and i've been you know and i i do film and tv uh session work you know i'm, I'm sort of on the 
lower end of the totem pole, but I get, I get a, you know, a fair amount of calls and super grateful anytime I get that call because those there's residual money there. And that's, that's how, that's how I eat, man. When the summer comes around and I know it's going to be lean and I get a couple of G's for work I did like last year, I am never going to be mad at that. It's amazing. And, and that's why people are so, that's why those spaces in those, in that world are so dog eat dog and it's very political. And it's, I understand why it's not really for me and I don't want to play the game because I don't really, it's not, it's not my personality. It's not how I, that's not how I fit into the world. I don't think. And, um, luckily people know that I can play and they call me for that, but, um, it's definitely not my favorite kind of work. You know what I mean? If, if I had the opportunity to do that or like hang out with, um, logic at, um, ocean way studio for a week and like create arrangements on songs and have carte blanche, like be able to do whatever I want on his song. And he's like, I love it. That sounds amazing. Like, let's do it. I'm, I would do that every day of the week and twice on Sunday if I had to, you know, choose, mm. but luckily they both pay, you know what I mean? So it's not always, it's not always that good. You know what I mean? I'm teaching like five-year-olds right now. So <laughs> I want to get to, I want to get to that too. First, I have two questions for you, my man. First of all, MF doom, RIP that hit me so hard. And it was so unexpected. Like where were you when you, when you, found that out uh, i was in northern california with my buddy mike my best friend mike whitson we were hanging out he was uh, his dad built a cabin up in shasta mm-hmm. and so i was just getting a little like two or three days away from all the crazy shit and uh yeah that that really sucked to hear that but i knew that he wasn't having the best health and like mm-hmm. yeah so i mean I, i'm not sure but i'm definitely so sad to hear that and you know anytime someone dies that young it's like and and is so talented i mean you know it's it's a total huge loss i mean and and you know what's really funny i'm just remembering it's all coming back to me we did the grammys together with ariana grande at staples Mm. center yes we did (laughs) you were the you were the you were the person who told me about kobe you were you, you were the one yeah man you were the one say yo look at your phone I was like, what? What are you talking about? Because remember, we had to leave our phones uh, up in the up in the box, uh, the boxes. But uh, yeah, he's like, no, this is, this is no cap. This is ESPN saying this. I was like, whoa. So I, I it's so it's so interesting. Like we've shared really even though we haven't known each other that long, we've had some really profound moments together. And I'm so thankful that. Uh, it was you that told me because anybody else, I would have probably not played it as cool. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I can't, I can't screw up in front of Tom. I gotta, oh man, all right, keep it together. <laughs> you don't ever have to be cool around me, dude. <laughs> I just wanted to no, say that. that. Was, oh man, well, hey, I mean, you can always. I, that's that's. I mean, that's interesting. You bring that up because isn't that funny how we have to wear a mask? You know. There's a Fuji song, M to the A to the S to the K, with the mask around the way just to make the next day. I mean, that's kind of how it is, man. You just got to like get by mm-hmm. and it's like, don't rock the boat. Don't say something stupid. It's like so many things you have to think about to succeed in the world out there. And I like to think that 
because I know I make enough mistakes for all of us. <laughs> I really do. And that's, that's the only way you learn, right? Is if you, you, you make that mistake and you're probably going to make that same mistake, like another 50, hundred times or whatever. I mean, um, but I definitely don't ever want to feel like anyone needs to be cool around me. You know what I mean? Cause I'll, I'll love you no matter what, you know, it's, it's not, <laughs> that feels I mean, amazing. come on, man. Thank like, you. I'm so glad we met. Cause I really yeah. do feel like as soon as I saw you, I'm like, this kid's got something. I don't know what it is, but he's killing the game. Like he, no matter what he's doing, he's going to play his ass off and he's just got a great attitude and he's, he's a very personable guy. And, and I mean, I, I don't see, I don't see anything holding you back, man. I really don't. And, and I'm just, it's amazing. I like looked at your podcast. Cause I was like, Oh shit, I better like check out the podcast. What are these guys doing? <laughs> so I went and I was like, damn, these guys are like two seasons in. And there's all these like five star ratings. I'm like, hell yes, great. Man. So <laughs> you're a part of it, fact, man. Yeah, well, it's an honor. And, and just the fact that you're you put it together, and it's like anyone can do it, but mm-hmm. not everyone can do it. You have to really have a a drive and like a, a, a thirst for for doing things that are uh, that are awesome, you know. On that note, thirst for doing things awesome. When you moved here to LA, no, it's real. That's why we come out here, right? We come out here to do the awesome gigs, to meet the awesome people, to learn from these awesome artists. And there are only so many jobs that go around, even though, like you said previously, you know, California is a place where there's a lot of economic stimulation. There's a lot of fine arts appreciation. There's a lot of work for artists there are still more artists than there are jobs to do. Correct. So like as somebody who's been in this ecosystem for a couple of decades, do you have kind of like a basic Swiss army knife list of protocols that you abide by to make sure that your contractors, to make sure that the people that you work for feel comfortable calling you again? And if so, what are some things that you can maybe highlight for our budding uh, freelancing uh, audience out there? That's a really good question. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I've, like I said, I've made a lot of mistakes and you know, you lose work when you, when you make a mistake, you don't get a callback. Um, and those opportunities are few and far between. Um, don't be late. That means be about an hour early. If you can help it, especially if it's something big, I mean, obviously like the less money than the less hard you're the, the less you're going to get there on time you know what i mean just less you're going to care and you're going to find some reason to fuck around and not get to work early <clears throat> but just getting to work early is everything especially in traffic because you just know you're gonna it's, so you're gonna leave like two hours early you know which is brutal uh and sometimes it's really hard uh and you throw a kid in there and it's become more challenging <laughs> since i had a child because i'm like shit man like i used to get to work super early but i've had i've had you know, opportunities and where I, uh, I messed up, man. And, and like, I never got a call back from somebody because I got there right when it started, or maybe like a minute after the session started, it was like a major session. And I never heard back from that person. So I'm not surprised, you know, no matter how good you are, no, how, how honest of a mistake it was, you know, it's like those second chances are few and far between. So that's the first one. Be super duper early minimum 
half hour, but if you can help it like hour to 45 minutes early. Um, secondly, don't be afraid to reach out because no one's going to know that you're there unless you let them know. Um, when I was, for example, I was touring with a band called Rye that I had done uh, all the string arranging for from their first two records. I'd co co-arranged and recorded like all the strings, one man, or one man orchestra. Whoa. Toured, toured with them. There's, I've got a funny story about that, but okay, I yeah, we'll them. Circle back. I've got many stories about that. But <laughs> we, we toured for five years. Uh, or I toured for five years with this band and I had most amazing time. I never had left the continent until I was 35. And so we went all over the world five times over. And I think I went to over like 30 countries and probably averaged about 25 countries a year for five years. Wow. It was crazy. I mean, like going, having gone nowhere to doing that, which was like insane, but that anyways, um, playing with that group for so long i felt like i'd sort of lost touch with the la scene the studio work and and just all the all the performance opportunities here and so i had to hit the ground running because when that when that gig ended for me i was like holy shit what what am i gonna do now and i had a family so i was like well this is crazy because now i'm in my 40s i was like 39 or 40 and i was like (laughs) what am i gonna do now i was 40 i just turned 40 and so I was like, holy shit. So the first thing I did was just start like email. I looked up all the contractors that I knew and people who I had, I expected no one to call me back. And I maybe got one or two people call me back, but I did have people. I called players that I knew. Mm-hmm. I called, I, I emailed contractors. I said, Hey, I've been on the road for 10 years. I kind of fudged it. I had been on for five years, but I said, yeah, I've been on the road for 10 years. And mm-hmm. I'm, I kind of feel like I've lost touch with my like connections with LA and I'd love to play for you. I, you know, I have all, here's my list of credits. Please. If you ever get an opportunity to hire me, uh, I, I do have a family and I'm trying to get work. So that's honest, don't man. be, yeah. Don't be ashamed to put yourself out there because the people who don't take chances are definitely the people who don't get called back. So that was huge. I mean, like just having being believing in yourself and putting yourself out there, um, really big things. And then here's the third part I would say is, be self-reliant. Um, a lot of people have, have asked me, like I get some like Instagram messages and people are like, Hey, how do you do it? Like, I mean, you know, every now and again, someone will reach out and say like, how do you make a living or how I want to be a studio musician? And I say, you know, and that's a, that's such a loaded question, but I mean, God, I mean, you really have to diversify, you know, um, you can't do just one thing, you know? And I think I might've been maybe the last, the last class of people, class of students who were like going into conservatory training, thinking like, I'm just going to do classical music, right? Because that's honestly what I thought I was going to do. Until I moved to LA and was getting my master's there, I'm like, wait, there's, I can see there's like different avenues here. But I didn't really know that when I got into, uh, you know, thinking I'm going to go to school to be a violist, I was thinking, oh, I'm just going to win an uh, an orchestra job and I'm going to live a happy, comfortable life. And the the reality couldn't be more, you know, further from the truth. Um, So, uh, being self-reliant, meaning like you got to hustle students, you got to be open to teaching, you get that money. Cause like you can do that. It's they're right there. There's tons of kids, there's tons <laughs> of families, people, people need violin or viola teachers or any instrument that you play. Um, write your own music, have fun, like do what makes your heart feel good. If you want to play concertos, practice concertos. If you want to make beats, make beats, you know, it's like, you got to find something that 
feels good to you musically because that's the one thing that you can control no matter what happens. You can always go back into your room and write something, right? You don't have to wait for the phone ring to do that. And then if you work hard enough and you get good enough, opportunities will open themselves up if you put yourself out enough. You can, if you release your own music, you can send it to someone say, hey, I have written this and maybe you would want to use it to, you know, whatever. Not that I've had a few opportunities with that. I've been lucky enough to have some opportunities fall in my lap, but you know, it wouldn't have happened if I wasn't working on music on my own. So I would say, yeah, be early. Um, what was the second one? <laughs> <laughs> no, you went on, you went on. I, I want to say that faking fam, I hope you're taking notes. Cause that was like a real honest um, accounting of what it really takes. I loved what you said most about creating your own shit. And one thing that I've really learned is that if you're the only time you get more calls to do stuff for other people is if you're too busy doing stuff for yourself. Mm. Wow. There you go. There is that line too. It's like, if you want something done, go to the busiest person, you know, because <laughs> they know how to get stuff done. And that came up during another conversation. Like we're, we're working on this big project and it's kind of like frustrating. It's like, oh, like we something, there's a deadline here and we kind of need it. And just wasn't getting done. I'm like, the reason we're going to them is because they're busy. They're good at what they do. The fact that it, it you know, it comes in at these, these, these like last minute times or whatever. We we chose them for a reason. If they weren't super busy, that'd probably be a bigger red flag <laughs> if they could just respond to all of this. So true. So true. And and I mean, who's to say, like any, God, I mean, the world's so big and there's so many people who have so many passions. So it doesn't have to be just L.A. But I mean, clearly L.A. is a place where people go to fulfill their dreams. You know, I feel like this is a city that, that, that nurtures, that, that can really pay off. I mean, it, it's not every city has the same amount of opportunity. And um, a lot of people complain about not, not working, you know, and, and I've been that person too. I'm not, I, I would be lying if I said I hadn't been that person. I was that know? person it, Monday. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which is why I kind of stay off of Instagram, honestly, because I do get that feeling. Like I'm like, oh fuck, everyone's doing something cooler than me. They're about to release that record. I still have three records I haven't released. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's totally like, it can really bring you down. And, and, you know, I feel like if you just put blinders on and you just kind of try to take care of yourself and make you like, whatever that means, you know, I used to smoke a lot of weed. I used to drink a lot of beers. Like, I don't do that anymore. Like I, I'm, I'm looking inward to find answers and that's mm. not the answer for me. The answer is like making my body feel good getting exercise, like trying to be on this planet with my daughter as long as I can be like healthy and drinking water and cold, cold <laughs> brew, water and, and cold brew. And like, you know, and, uh, you know, that's kind of all I drink is like coffee and water now. Same. But, um, I know, but the, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's all about just like trying to do what makes you happy and mm -hmm. God, man, just meeting up. And I gotta say, just like making friends with people who, excite you and 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 bring out the best in you too because you obviously got to have fam you know you got to have people and and you know you can find those people maybe it's harder now because of pandemic but mm -hmm. you know when things open up again and they will you know mm -hmm. it's like Very soon. Uh, this could be a renaissance i really think and and 
it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, because I've heard two different sides of this story. Like some people are like, I can't get creative in the pandemic. Like I'm, I'm like, motherfucker, like this is the best time to get creative. You could ever be creative <laughs> and not have distractions. And like, I don't know if there's ever going to be a time in our lives again where we don't work for two years straight. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen until you're retired. And even yeah. then, as a musician, like, that's not even real, too. Because no. we're still going to be teaching or doing whatever we can to like mm-hmm. a little, make a little extra money. Because musicians don't make money. But let's change that, <laughs> right? We need to change that narrative. That's why I have like, this podcast, bro. Hallelujah. I mean, that's yeah. what I'm trying to do is, like, get out of this, like, rat race mentality, which is, like, that's i feel like once we can like break down this matrix and figure out how to really get get like a piece of the pie like you and i were talking about the other day on our phone call it's like yeah it's there it's totally there but you just got to keep plugging away and finding different ways to like fit these pieces in and like just but like i said not taking chances and like making those phone calls and like reaching out to people you're never gonna know right if you don't do it you'll there's no way you'll know so you gotta try you know at least and I, I mean i'm i'm trying to motivate myself to do that like i'm gonna like make beats tonight because i'm like let's get Are you fired up man i'm fired <laughs> I'm up right so now fired up, but I really am. <laughs> Good, man. can i can i ask you a question about like teaching i wanted to kind of like um to change the, the shift the gears a little bit because um teaching kids is a very different experience. I, I remember you mentioning you have, you're teaching like five-year-olds, right? You have a couple of younger students and how are they different? How do you motivate a kid student? This is actually for me, mostly. Uh, how do you motivate a kid student as opposed to like an adult student who's more motivated to do the thing? Like, what are some tools that you employ? Okay, that's a really good question. And it's different for each kid. Because okay. some kids have really good attention dis, uh, attention span, some kids have no attention span. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's true, and and you have to. It's diff. So you're going to have to kind of like work your way through uh, with each kid, but um, making it as easy and fun as you can for a younger kid, um, and making it like I have. I could. I, I've got my friend Mike told me a really helpful way to like getting bow grips down, which is the hardest part. Uh, for a kid to learn and if you can't get the bow grip right then like it everything is just kind of like it just doesn't work because they're just holding it like a club or a bat and there's no (laughs) there's no flexibility there but it's such a a fine motor skill to have that a kid who's that young Mm -hmm. they're not really going to understand like oh i got to keep this pinky curled oh i got to keep this thumb curled and oh these three fingers are just there for support i mean there's 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 i have a little trick i can teach you that's really helpful and it's helped me kind of like approach some of my younger students, but you have to make it fun. So with a, like a, you know, say a five and a half year old, six year old, I'll just like spend half the lesson, just kind of like figuring out, okay, here's the anatomy of the violin. Here's, here's the steps we do to like take the instrument out. Like that's important. They have to internalize like that part of it because they're small and they break shit. You know, <laughs> so you have to, you know what I mean? Like you have to make sure they understand the steps so they don't skip or like, you know, throw the violin across the room on accident, whatever. Yeah. I'm, that shit's real. Oops, yeah. So yeah. Um, that's the first step. And then making it fun and more about music and less about just violin. So I'll always, cause I I'm so interested in like seeing like how well their brain works with um, rhythmic and melodic information. I'll just do like T T T T ta, ta, T. They'll sing it back to me. Right. And like, mm-hmm. we'll just kind of play this game. I can do that for like 10 minutes easily, but it's like, that's something they can do but they're really excited and they want to 
put their hands on the instrument. That's the thing that I kind of like ease in because I know that it's going to, that's the hardest part. And that's mm. the most frustrating part, right? So I kind of almost spend less time on that because that's the part where they're going to hit a brick wall. So mm. I try to do things with them that they can kind of get, get, right? It's like, okay, let's memorize the names of the strings. Let's memorize the parts of the body. You know what I mean? It's like, it's all important because they're just using their brains. And there, there's so much rapid brain growth happening right now at this age um, that that's just as important as learning how to hold the instrument and make a sound. You know what I mean? That that's So that's like, it's almost like 30% violin and then like 70%, you know, the other stuff, right? Which is like kind of ear training, memory, rhythm, clapping, and then like the anatomy of the instrument and like the, you know, the, the step-by-step, like, what is this? Identifying what it is you're doing and how you, how to do it, you know? I love that. How is it teaching kids the same age as your kids like now? Like how has your perspective changed like now being a father teaching younger kids? Yeah, I mean, that's the probably the only reason why I've taken on students that young is because I have experience with, you know, a six-year-old. She's almost six going on like 16. Yeah. I, mean, she, I mean, she, my kid Ren is super advanced and she's, she's brilliant, musically brilliant. I mean, it's, I'm blown away by this kid every day, but so I'm, I'm definitely spoiled because I have a kid who's like really got it musically. She's got it and uh, has confidence. And mm. I mean, I, I gave that to her early on. I mean, like I, I didn't give it to her. I, I helped foster it, you know, and she took it, she took it and ran, you know, I was just singing to her mama's, you know, belly when she was not even born. So mm-hmm. it was already there. She already had a good ear before she even came out. Mm-hmm. So um, that's really important. But like, yeah, I mean, you have to have a very like chill temper and uh, temperament is what I'm saying. Your temperament needs to be very even keel and excitable. Like you want to get them like enthusiastic and you want to be like, uh, you know, it's just kind of it's just, you want to have fun, you know, and you want to make it fun, but it's not always fun. Like I have some students who are just like a little bit older and you know, it's a grind to get to points where it is fun, but you sort of have to just like, okay, this isn't working. Let me try something else. You have to be very fluid and like try and be as, as quick as you can to like move onto the next thing. If this isn't working and just go back to that later, you know, I taught young, young kids. It was at school for strings in hell's kitchen. And I took over Actually, now my my now boss at my other company, I took over the young, like they must have been six or seven years old. And it was a classroom. And this was music theory. They're six and seven. Uh. It was music appreciation. But um, <laughs> So I walk in there and I've told the story before on the podcast, but it's kind of like those movies to where I, I walk up to the board. It's like, hey, class. Yay, little kids. They're on their little desk. And I walk up to the board. And I'm trying to explain something. And I turn around <laughs> and like the room's on fire. And I'm just standing like, like they're untying my shoes. One kid is is blowing his nose and like rubbing the thing on me. And this kid runs with a marker I can't erase. And at some point, I literally just had to stop and stand there and out of body experience. Watch <laughs> my master's degree and my knowledge of education just erupt in fire while all of their parents sat outside that little classroom listening to their kids scream and play like Mortal Kombat with my body. But I immediately after that, I realized like teaching young kids is the hardest thing you will ever do. I've taught the honors college theory kids at Juilliard. I've taught all these other kids. I've taught adult learners. The hardest, one of the hardest things uh, for us to get used to is teaching those first year uh, learners, but the biggest strategy I learned was exactly what you said. 
you got to come in with a plan. Everyone imagines, oh, it's little kids. Just go and entertain them. Like, oh, God, no. Like, it was like a five-minute thing, and I had like 12 alternatives because when when something I'm going in here, let's talk about the notes. When that's not working, it's like, okay, everyone, stand up. We're gonna, I'm going to play this music, and we're going to stomp around the room to the beat. Like, stuff like that. Like, active, <laughs> physical things. Physical. And it it's works. It's all about phys- physicality for these kids. You're totally right. I mean... I have kids where I'm just like, oh, I can tell that we're having a hard time focusing. Why don't you run three laps? Because right now I'm doing like distance, like outside. Like I have a couple students I meet in their backyard and we all mask up. And and I'm like, why don't you just run run in the backyard? Do give me three laps and then come back. And then we just give them like a minute to like cool off. And I'd be like, let's try this now. You know what I mean? And some kids, you know, some of my kids are just like, they'll do it for like five minutes and be like, okay, I'm done. I'm like, (laughs) oh, wait, but um, let's try this thing. You know, so it's, it is can be really challenging, but I think making it physical and making it as fun as you can, it's not always easy. And but that is more productive than trying to like cram down this like idea of what you have, like how to teach whatever it is you're doing. It's like you just gotta be flexible, you know, and and know that their brains are going their brains are on fire. They really literally are on fire and they don't have control over what's happening. So if they can't <laughs> focus, it's not their fault. They just need a release and you give them that and then maybe they'll come back and give you another couple more minutes and that's okay. You know, you just have to be like open to that. And of course it's way different for older kids and, or, and, and, or, you know, adults. And then if you have an adult student, I would say um, also make it approachable for them. Cause I did just take in a student who was my friend from high school, who was in my orchestra from high school. Mm. Yeah. I was so, I put a Facebook ad up for teaching and she hit me up my, my friend wow. Maya and I was like, so excited to have her as a student again and i just wanted to make it approachable and for her not to feel anxious because i remember she sent me a bunch of pictures of like the music she'd been playing and she was like i'm feeling anxious and i was like don't worry about that let's just get back to making music and what is what i'm interested in is playing simple music really 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 well mm. you know and if we can do that you're gonna have more fun and you're not gonna feel overwhelmed and let's just talk about practicing why don't you just do 20 minutes every other day? Then you're not like freaking out about trying to make it, you know, do this and do that. Just make it like really reasonable for yourself and don't overwhelm somebody, you know? Wow. You're brilliant. I, I, I'm a, I'm not a good teacher yet. I'm, I'm still getting my legs under me, man. Uh, and, and what you said really early on, I think is even more important. I, I think it bears repeating. Every student is different. Um, when I was at Juilliard, um, Heidi Castleman was my teacher, and I studied. I also studied with Sinyan Huang. But the thing about Heidi Castleman that was different from any other teacher I've ever had before or since is that she really saw you. She looked at you, and when you would play, she would sit there and just think for like what felt like four minutes, but it was more <laughs> like 25, 30 seconds. And then she would have a plan. She would plan an entire lesson in that moment. And it would often have nothing to do with your instrument. It would have everything to do with like, what does this person need at this moment? This person's tense, but how do I like get them to loosen their, their physicality? So I, I just love how you talk about kids. They got to run around the room, <laughs> run, run around the, the yard. And I was that kind of kid, but like, even with older students, it's important to also take them out of their body. Like anxiety is poison. So like, how, how do you, do you like, 
Because I know there are some listeners here who are of all ages. A lot of them are around our age, actually, Tom. And and they're uh, starting their freelance career or they're going back to school or they're just picking up the instrument again. So what are some things that you found uh, to get rid of that poison of like tension and anxiety? What are some things that you do or suggest to your students to to release that? Oh, wow. That's, that's tough. I mean, that's actually a really complicated answer, but, um, yeah, I mean, definitely stretching out. And I mean, I need to take my own advice cause I get tight for sure. Like when I practice, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll do, I think right now I try to do average and this comes and goes, you know, um, but I'll try to do about 25 minutes to 30 minutes of practice. Cause with my life right now, my schedule with my kid being home, it's just like nothing else is realistic. Mm-hmm. And I've never been like the biggest practicer anyways. I think at my height of practicing was when I was in Oklahoma, I was practicing about four hours, five hours a day, which was like crazy for me. I'd never done that ever, ever, (laughs) ever. And I never did after that, (laughs) but, um, I just been one of those people who was just like, yeah, I'm pretty talented. I'm just going to do this. You know, I'm um, talking about when you're on stage though. Cause like there's something when you're on stage and you're tense and you don't have time to like stretch and stuff. So what are you, what are some things that you do to dial that in? Cause that's actually my biggest, uh, struggle you just kind of check in with your body and see where you're Mm -hmm. feeling i mean like i definitely do a lot of like like i do get tight in my lower back i find a lot Mm -hmm. and i don't really have an answer for that i wish i did i don't want to bullshit i just um you know if it's before i'm practicing or during i'm practicing take lots of breaks you know that's the one thing i can control um and definitely stretching like you know going down and like touching your toes breathing always Mm, breathing breathe um Breathing is, and let's all breathe. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I definitely had a moment, and oh, yeah. God, this year I've had to do, or 2020 and, and into this year, breathing has been a savior. Like, I, I'll try to just kind of do a little morning meditation where I tell myself things that I want to keep with me on the day. I'm like, okay, don't overreact to your kid. Be there for your kid. Like, don't, mm-hmm. you know, like, be be trustworthy, be, be an honest person, like be kind to people. Like, and I do that while I'm breathing. Like I try to like kind of bring myself in and like look inside in the beginning of my day. And then I feel like when I do that, the rest of my day goes a lot better. Mm. So if you can tell yourself to relax, it's going to help a lot. Um, mm. So taking deep breaths in through your mouth or into your nose, out through your mouth, like four or five of those. Um, and if you if you get a chance, my sister and I did this a few times. She does it almost every day. Have you heard of Wim Hof? No. Uh, he's the guy who can hold his breath for like over two minutes or something like that. Oh, okay. And he, he can like he goes into like the freezing cold water. And <laughs> anyways, he's got these meditation, these breathing exercises that he has on YouTube. They're incredible, and it, it's like the best way to get blood all the way through your body and through your brain and just like like oxidize your whole body. Um, they're really intense and it's like, some of it's like deep breath holding and, but you feel like incredible after these like five minute meditations. Mm. So Wim Hof, if you could look into it, it's highly recommended. Um, it's intense. I'm not going to lie. It's like, you got to go in and you got to be ready to like, (laughs) but, but the feeling that you get afterwards, is like, if you just worked out really hard or something, you just feel incredible. And it's cause we don't breathe we don't breathe enough, you know, our bodies don't get enough oxygen and myself included. And, and I'm glad that we're talking about this because I need to remind myself that. So Same. I would say if you, yeah, if you're on stage, take a deep breath, take, take time. And also if you're on stage, it doesn't matter. 
I feel like there's expectations. You put the expectation on yourself, right? It's like, it's not about what the audience wants. It's about what you are going to give to them. So taking time for yourself to like center yourself and really do the best that you can, that means that you need to be in a good place, you know? And I would always remember that like my teachers would be like, hey, before you start this piece, think about what you're going to do. Like, take a minute and imagine the tempo and like imagine what you want to do and it's so it really helps so if you can just kind of imagine what you want to do i think you're going to do it with this whole conversation it's kind of wild like the through line through all of this is the body like we we opened up talking about your stage presence and how you were moving in the orchestra. And then that's how you're teaching teaching these young kids. It's through movement, it's through physicality. And then the breath, it all comes back to the body. It all comes back to the breath. Um, <laughs> but um, but it, it is incredible. And that's something that uh, my teacher, if I had to sum up my, my undergraduate degree, and actually let's throw in composition there as well. It, it was because it was all about tension. And that was like the enemy. The enemy was tension. I couldn't t- tongue fast enough. I couldn't play this. My my breath support wasn't that great for the bassoon. And my teacher was like, we are athletes of air. That's what woodwind players are. We need to figure out what we can do to just breathe better, to use our air better. And I didn't think how that would translate later on in my life when it comes to things like meditation or like exercise or all these things. But that really gets left behind and I forget about it often, even more so in composition because there's nothing physical. I'm not like holding anything. I'm just sitting, uh, scrolling through Facebook, not doing my work. But, um, <laughs> I guess that takes a lot of, you know, I have to figure out how to sit in a chair for so long, uh, and procrastinate, but there's something just th- that kind of gets left behind in music education, except I didn't take Alexander technique, but that's like one of the very few examples to where, we use our bodies so much. Dancers spend all their time talking about the body. Everyone in theater has a class about their body. They map out the anatomy. They talk about it. They have a class called movement. They have a class called anatomy. They do all these things. And in music, that's an elective. And yeah. we do weird shit with our body. Holding, holding the viola is weird. Playing the piano is weird. Oh. Playing guitar is weird. And yet we just ignore it? Have you at any point in your life or I know it's kind of like hard to do, but um, exercise routines or other things that are physical, what is your relationship to your body like? Man, it's funny that you asked that because um, I was thinking about this because I listened to the one of the podcasts you guys talked about. It was the one you guys were bullshitting about. That's like every the, podcast. That's <laughs> <laughs> the carnival, the carnival cruise. And then you were talking yeah. about, you're kind of talking shit about insanity. Yeah. And I've actually, <laughs> I've actually been doing insanity uh, for the last six months. Whoa. And yeah. And it wasn't until the last month, this last month of month of January, where I stopped drinking and I stopped eating like chips and crackers mm. and, you know, like things that are just like more complex. Like I've been simplifying the foods that I eat. And I just stopped drinking and I lost like 11 pounds in the last month just because I was doing, I was already doing the workouts, but then I just cut out all the sugar with the, and the sweets, dude, that's the other thing, like no sweets. I can still have sweets. It's just like apples and 
peanut butter and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe like a small portion of popcorn. And it's like, dude, those things satisfy so much. And, uh, but yes, about a physical, um, I've, I've dabbled in, uh, Alexander technique. Um, and I've also, you know, I, the last year I started taking therapy, um, just, and I, I can't stress, That's amazing. I can't stress enough how important mental health is. And it's, I think it's becoming more, um, prevalent, you know, in, in conversation nowadays, but I really feel like every, every person over the age of like 21 and even earlier than that, maybe after 18 and on, and maybe before that, depending on who you are and what you have going on in your life, it is so important to be able to talk to someone about what you're going through. Uh, and, and, and a therapist can help you in so many ways, um, that it's really, it's, it's really improved my life, just my mental health. I just feel so much better when I'm able to talk to someone about what I'm feeling and whether it's good or bad. Um, Mm -hmm. But physically, um, you know, playing viola and doing music, sitting at a computer where it's very stressful on your body. And yeah, I mean, being in the best shape that you can be. And I, I, I'm what I'm doing now at 42 is I'm, and I, it's hard not to kick myself because I made a lot of bad, like a lot of bad life choices. Like I had a really horrible diet for a really long time, you know, like well over 10 years, <laughs> if not longer. And I, you know, I abused alcohol and I smoked too much weed. And, you know, I did a lot of things that weren't good for me because I was like running away from some truths and self-medicating. And a lot of people do that and they don't know why they're doing it. And so first of all, therapy helps you kind of clarify those things. And then once you kind of come to, a, I think it's easier when you're in your forties for a lot of people, not everybody. And I've had a lot of friends. I've had some really close friends die of overdose and, you know, mm-hmm. tragedies, you know, like shit that'll just break your heart. And those things give you a lot of um, clarity on how you want to live, at least to me. Uh, and just taking advantage of every day and feeling more connected with my body. I, I don't think I've ever felt this good, honestly, because I'm really, I had a cheat day on Super Bowl Sunday. I, I got a breakfast burrito in the morning. I hadn't had one in like over a month. And as soon as I ate it, I was like, that sucked. I love <laughs> breakfast burritos. I'm from San Diego, man. Like there's nothing I want more than a fucking delicious, yeah, fatty, fatty burrito. And mm. my body was like not happy. As soon as I ate that, I was like, like no too complex too many things too many heavy things and then i was like fuck it i'm going all in royale treat day pizza so i did pizza for mm-hmm. the game mm-hmm. and i bought some ciders i had some alcoholic yeah. ciders mm-hmm. and like none of those things made me feel good none of them right and i kind of went a little bit over the edge with them like you know like i probably had one or two too many i only had four mm-hmm. drinks but like mm-hmm. i probably only needed two drinks to get the same feeling that I wouldn't have wanted to go past that point, Mm -hmm. but I'm so glad that I did because it reminded me like how good I've been feeling the last month. I don't need those things to feel good. Mm -hmm. And actually they make me feel shitty. So why would I do that to myself? Certainly it's different if you're in like a social setting, if you're going to see a band or go, you know, like have fun, enjoy yourself, but like don't get carried away in that thing or just like realize like what really feels good is the clarity and like your body feeling clean and like, Mm. I just got to say, like, I'm so much more in tune with myself and it's only been a month of this. So, yeah. you know, I've wow. had moments where I've lost about like, 
like about seven years ago, I lost about 80 pounds. I was pushing over 300 pounds Whoa. and I, I lost like 80 pounds Wow! and Whoa. I made a huge lifestyle change and like, you know, and made some huge changes and never looked back. But then I gained like 20 pounds back, you know, we had a baby and you gained weight with your girl and like, you know, things like that. So I'm just, I was just trying to kind of get back into a place where I was like focusing on me again and not just kind of indulging. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's definitely places for indulging, but I feel like I spent so much of my life doing that, that I'm at a point now where it's just like the clarity is what feels good to me. So being in tune with myself, talking to someone who can help me sort out my feelings and taking care of my body, drinking a ton of water, getting a ton of exercise, playing with my kid, like giving myself time with my baby girl, dude, that's the best feeling. So Mm. like just, taking time to connect with yourself and you know i'm on a roll now so we'll see how it goes talk to me in four months you know yeah (laughs) bro gonna come in here enlightened with like a halo he's ascended no 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 not even close but but you know you know what i'm saying like it it is right now i'm on a roll so i don't want to like i don't want to mess that up you know and so i just want to but you know, it's, I think a good place to get to is where I, it's a balance. You know what I mean? I don't want to be like, I can't ever just like enjoy a glass of wine and like smoke a joint with a friend. You know, it's like, those things are great, but you know, like right now I'm just kind of feeling good, you know? So I'm just going to keep that going. There's even, uh, like st- studies and that's another sign of the pod is citing studies that we don't remember. Ah, uh, yeah. Stuff. What the title was yeah, or, who or wrote it. even what it's actually <laughs> about, but we'll just say there's studies, um, to confirm my point. But something along that lines that like finding balance and having things like cheat days or indulging every once in a while has better long term effects. And one is you're more likely to stick to it because you're being realistic. And like that's one of the hard parts of like, say, almost any of the diets that eliminate something, the keto diet, Atkins diet, by being incredibly like hard about it you're more likely to break it. And when your body is introduced to these other things, it kind of freaks out. It's like going on the offensive. And like, that's why at least all these other studies say is that there's not a massive difference between any of these diets. Losing the losing weight itself is actually what's causing the positive things, kind of how you get there. It's, it's more about like, what can you stick to? What's more realistic? Can you eat chips on occasion? Yes. And in fact, it's actually good. I know at least with like my interest of like intermittent fasting, it's good to, you know, have one day a week, have one day another week to play it because otherwise your body like adapts too much to what you're doing. And so when you do slip up, it like hits you hard. Uh, It becomes harder to get back to that point. So by having one day a week or whatever, where you don't go crazy, but who cares if you eat eat that burger, you're going to be fine. That one burger isn't the problem. It's the consistent burgers that causes the issues. And with all things in life, we also want to make this enjoyable. If that buys me one more day and like I never got to eat bacon ever again, I don't think that was worth it. Like <laughs> it's another day without bacon, my man. Not worth it. <laughs> you could have turkey. You could have turkey bacon. I think that's a little. Uh, there we go. For Compromise. Hater. <laughs> <laughs> can, no, can, can I can I reflect some of the things you were saying, uh, sure. Tom? Because like what's really important, and I think what I love about this podcast and how it's growing is how we we also talk about our feelings. And I don't say that in a corny way, but we really talk oh. about the emotions because what you said earlier in your in your in your story was like your mental health is the baseline of like your actions and your habits. And if you don't have that dialed in, getting healthy habits that are going to create longevity 
growth and also in health in your life. They just don't happen. Like you, it's like, it's like the circuit doesn't even connect. And I found in my life, like when I was forced to live on a cruise ship, uh, I was like, man, if I don't get healthy now, I'm never gonna, if I don't dial in these habits. So I actually, that was the first time I had cut out carbs from my diet that I'd cut out sugar from my diet six days a week. And I had no idea that the the amount of brain fog I lived with on a daily basis, the clarity I was missing out on, I, I was like, wow. I mean, even alcohol. I didn't drink, start drinking alcohol until I was twenty one, but uh, just even cutting down on alcohol consumption, uh, that that was a that was an absolute game changer. I did start smoking weed, so I mean. <laughs> Totally I, it cool. wasn't all I, good, but <laughs> quote man, unquote, it, it's the healing of the nation. Yo, man, it's happening. <laughs> Joe Biden, please. Let's go. Oh, let's man. Go. <laughs> yeah. What are we waiting for? It's not a crime. I gotta say. Yeah. I mean, as someone who started smoking weed way too young in his life, I mean, it's, I took, when I lost all that weight, I kind of, kind of started because I'd stopped. I was uh, rolling spliffs. Or like euros, right? So like yeah, half yeah, tobacco, yeah. half weed. Yeah. And I smoked those way too much. Mm-hmm. And it was the tobacco that was keeping me coming back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, I'm spending all this money on weed because I just want to smoke cigarettes. So I cut the tobacco out. And then I was like, wait, this weed's so strong. I just need a break from that too. <laughs> so I, I really, I took like a huge break. I, I And I, it was almost like six or seven years off of like hadn't smoked weed. I kind of come back to it a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and it's nice now, you know, it's like, cause now I feel like I've got a grip on it and it's, mm-hmm. and it's nice just in little, little small amounts and bits and pieces. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a dad. So it's like, once the kid's gone to bed, then I can like relax and like mm-hmm. either get creative or like put a show on, you know? And, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's a nice little relaxer. And I certainly feel a hell of a lot better after taking like an edible than if I drank like two or three ciders, like big cider. I, mm-hmm. I say ciders cause I don't drink beer anymore. Because of the gluten, yeah. I can't do yeah. gluten. But, oh, um, you're gluten intolerant, or yeah, it's because I was having knee problems, a lot of knee problems. Because that was I've the, heard like, the, the inflammation and the, too. Yeah, inflammation in the knee, and it's for digits too, for our digits. You know, like our fingers, like you got to keep that inflammation down. So um, definitely, just feel better and like digesting things too. Like that was really hard to get over it, but once you get used to it, it's just like anything. You get you get used to it, and it's totally easy now. Sauna? Have you ever uh, done a sauna? Love the sauna. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Big inflammation fan. is really good for reducing inflammation. I've heard, I've only done a couple times, but man, I feel like a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> Walking down that towel like a boss. Oh, did you, did you jump into some cold water right afterwards? Cause that's the best. I've done that. Oh, I haven't. That's My dad best. said too. Yeah. I haven't that, that's, that that's get on that Wim Hof life, brother. <laughs> okay. Okay, <laughs> bro. Like, okay. It got like slows his heart rate down and like just gets crazy like military like Navy SEAL shit. With all of these things going on, it's kind of fascinating. I never, still never have smoked weed. Started to trying out edibles and like little mints like the day after COVID arrived because I was like, I'm not going to die before figuring out what this deal is. Uh, I remember, bro. We recorded it live. So that was, yeah. I was just like, I was like, Welcome to NPR. And, uh... <laughs> That's no, how no, it, no, was. it was. True. He was so sedated. I was like, are you it was good? like It was like March like 17th or whatever. And I was just like, I was like, okay, I'm driving. I'm leaving LA. I listened to enough podcasts to realize COVID's going to be bad. And I was like, I'm not going to die without figuring this out. 
and and i get it of course <laughs> it's like i was missing out on, on like all this stuff from before i'm like what's the big deal particularly from the mental state and like some of these other things is that weed inflammation saunas all these together i think it's undervalued what being able to take a break mentally from like the stress of art and of life i'm sure being a father that is insanely stressful Managing a career, that's so stressful. Striving for this art and always knowing, oh, I could always be better and I can always do this. And did I say something mean to that person seven months ago? And did they misinterpret? And like the brain just is, is constantly spiraling. And there's, there's just so many different ways that I think looking back over the past 10 years, I think I stayed too like active for too long and not allowing myself that rest. And anyone in exercise and sports would like obviously look at that and like laugh at you like wait <laughs> you have to rest that's part this is the rest day it's a day of rest like you, that's how you recover but for artists mentally be, because it's not necessarily necessarily physically straining even though it is even though it is we're never afforded that mental break and i think that inhibited the stress which caused the cycles and only until this past year or so like really you know trying to for me trying to center in and like realize like whoa this is this is bad <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter how like if i'm doing one or two things healthy or i was leaving this out or whatever if i don't sleep and i don't just like allow myself to have that downtime to have rest time i'm you're operating at 50 40% your entire day i completely agree and i was i just want to say one thing if i said nothing else on your guys podcast today we need to be kinder to ourselves, you know, um, myself included. And I, the only thing that's weird is I've, the older I get is I realize like I'm, I'm a little more anxious than I thought I ever was. And, and I never really knew that because I was always so cloudy from like kind of self-medicating mm -hmm. and it's easy to sort of like run away from those feelings. But like when everyone's, you know, if you have a family or if you don't, but if you're, you know, stuck at home all the time it's really easy to get into your head and it's really easy to see how other people affect you and or just how you react to situations and i definitely don't always like do the graceful thing but it's one thing i do want to know is i want to like make sure that people try and do is just like let's not beat ourselves up right because mm. this shit is hard mm. and there's no blueprint on how to be successful in life well, I mean, what are, what are our goals? What are our goals? Like, like try to like live a, like a long, happy life and be, you know, it's like nothing is really important except for just like trying to be happy and, and relax and enjoy yourself. Like, but it's not easy. You know, it's just, it there's always going to be obstacles mm. and just like life is fucking intense and <laughs> we need to understand that and, you know, not beat ourselves up when we're not doing what we want to do and, you know, and just try, try again the next day. You know, it's like, if you miss one thing or you don't do the right thing, you always have tomorrow, you know, and, and you don't always have tomorrow, but you got to keep trying, you know, mm -hmm. it's like one day it'll climbs up, but can't worry about that. Right. Just mm -hmm. do the best you can while you're here. And if you can't get it right that day, try the next day. You know, I love that. I needed to hear that. Tom Lee. Thank you. Thank I'm, you. Message received. I heard you. <laughs> I, I hope you felt that too. Faking fam. Mm. <laughs> thanks again for coming on tom 
This is just oh, incredible. Man. We really do look forward to the next time. And I'm excited to see where where this new centered centered Tom is going to take us. Man's gonna come back looking like Joe Rogan all jacked and shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter my my daughter's like Daddy, I don't want you to lose your belly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry, kid. It's I'm going. Like, I'm like, I'm like, don't worry, honey. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might just be a little smaller, but <laughs> Daddy loves donuts. I'm, I'm just naturally like a big Viking guy, you know. It's just like it's just my DNA, you know. It's the and brand. Ke- it's the brand. Kendrick. <laughs> Kendrick. Can we do? Yeah. Is it too expensive to get Kendrick DNA on the outro? Yeah. Of this one? We we'll see. Lendrick Kamar. Lendrick like. Kamar. Yeah, we can we can do our, yeah, our cover. I- NDA. So EMB. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for coming, Thanks brother. Again, um it, it, before we before we let you go, like is there uh something we want to roll the the red carpet out for you as as uh, uh Sean Evans would say. Uh, like, is there a project or like a, a profile that you really want to shed some light on for the fam? Yeah. Um, I have been writing music for a long time. Uh, and like I said earlier in the podcast, I've got multiple projects that never ended up getting released. I do mm-hmm. have a record, a five song EP that is really close to being done. And I really am aiming to try and have it out before the end of this year. Um, it's going to be under the name Kale. K-A-L-L-E. And the title of the EP is going to be called Old Friends. And uh, I'm I'm very close to having this project being finished. Um, it's really close to my heart. Um, it was written uh, at the end of 2018 and the beginning of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was going through a very stressful time in my life, um, and it really was the first time I'd felt really, really inspired from things that had been happening in my life to write this music. Like this was like for the sole purpose of like exercising demons. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of this project. I worked with my close friend, Jake Jameson, who's an incredible producer and drummer. And I invited my friend, Tracy Wanamai, who's one of LA's finest wind players, plays um, saxophone, mm-hmm. bass, clarinet, clarinet, and flute. Oh, uh, amazing player, um, a legend. And uh, he came and played uh, winds on my tune. Um, and uh and i'm really excited about it I, I have my friend geneva white who's doing vocals on a song and uh i'm really i love it it's really close to my heart and it's not commercial it's just music that i wrote for the art for the sake of getting something off my chest and i don't plan to like make a million dollars with it if people enjoy it and listen to it and it affects them in a way and makes them feel good then that makes me really happy so be on the lookout Kale old friends it's coming out this year i swear to god bro (laughs) bro i'm gonna hold you to that on god and like when it does we you need to come back through so we can talk about it okay on pod hold it to you on On pod pod. (laughs) let's get potty potalicious tom looking forward to old friends happy to have you as a new friend we'll see you next time thanks again for coming on thank you gentlemen have a great day peace out my man peace